I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1 this morning in verse 26. I want to talk to you about authority again. It's a, something I've been teaching on for a, a long time. And I can't get away from it, to be honest with you. I believe it would be appropriate to say, truthful to say, that the knowledge of our authority in these last days may be the most critical thing that we need to know. Genesis 1.26, after God has made everything in this earth, he's equipped it, he's made it a paradise. He said, and God said, Scripture says, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. This word dominion means authority. God put man in charge of his creation. Now, folks, God never changes, which means if God ever wanted man to have dominion, he always wants man to have dominion. His desire for man's dominion or authority here on the earth didn't change when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. When they yielded themselves to sin, it didn't change God's plan. It didn't change God's desire. God never changes. Now, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. And so we have another reference to this in Psalms 115. <laughs> in verse 16, it says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let that hang. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. When God gave man authority on the earth, he put him in charge. If something needed to be done, he gave man instruction to dress and keep the garden. That literally means to guard and protect it. God knew that Satan was already here. God knew that his greatest enemy and therefore man's greatest enemy was already present on the earth but he had no place he had no standing he had no authority because all the authority in the earth had been given unto, unto Adam and Eve now folks I want you to, to stay with me a little bit for this morning I'll, I'll be brief in some of the things that we want to cover and some of these things we've covered before, certainly. But there's truth about our authority that I don't believe much of the church has accepted, believed for, and certainly not confessed. Look with me to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, it tells us about Jesus being tempted of the devil. Matthew and Luke are the only two gospel accounts of this beginning in verse 1 it said in Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan that's where he was baptized by John in the Jordan River and was led of the spirit into the wilderness being 40 days tempted of the devil and in those days he did eat nothing and when they were ended he afterward hungered and the devil said unto him if thou be the son of God command this stone that it be made bread and Jesus answered him saying it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. There's a, um, 
there's a little bit of an error in the translation concerning the temptation of Jesus. Jesus didn't go out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus went out into the wilderness to prepare himself for the three years of ministry that were about to begin. He went to spend time with God, not to spend time with the devil. Now, I can prove this to you because where it says the first temptation was that Jesus was tempted of the devil to turn stones into bread. That wouldn't have made much sense as far as the temptation was concerned if he did that on day one. It was after Jesus had fasted for 40 days that he became hungry. And medical science tells us that, that the body without food for a, a, a period of time gets to where the body doesn't want food. But then after a certain period of time, then when the body signals, sends a signal that it's either feed me or die time, that's where it's talking about afterward he hungered. So Jesus spent the time in the wilderness con uh, communicating and communing with his father. The purpose was the for the wilderness experience was not the devil, but it was to spend time with God. So the first temptation was, if you, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now, folks, keep in mind what's going on here. The devil is a created being. Jesus is not. And the Bible says that everything that was created here on the earth was created by Jesus himself. Jesus created the guy that's tempting him. Now, Jesus knew to some degree of his time in, the, in uh, heaven before he was born into the earth. How that works, I'm not exactly sure, at least not completely, because Jesus couldn't have known everything. He couldn't have had total recall of his time with the Father before the world began. If that were the case, if he had that total recall, then there's no way he could have been tempted in every point like we are. So when the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus made himself of no reputation, that's really a weak translation because what it means is he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory. Jesus didn't operate here on the earth with the power that he had with God in heaven before he was, before he was born of a virgin. We know that because in, Genesis, in uh, John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying for the church just before he's betrayed and taken captive by the Roman soldiers, just before that, he prays that God would restore him to the power that he had before the world began. Well, if he's praying for God to give it back to him, then he wasn't operating in it when he was in the earth. And this is one thing that the devil uses to deceive people. And he's done a pretty good job with the church, at least the Western church. The church of the Western world is what I mean. Because most of the believers in our country believe that God is sovereign and his sovereignty determines what's going to happen. Now, here's the problem with the sovereignty of God teaching as it's as is most frequently taught in our modern day. And that is, if you leave everything in God's hand to do, then that 
by definition, means that you're not exercising any authority on the earth that God intended for you to have. See, if the devil can convince somebody and deceive somebody into thinking that whatever happens is happening because God either wants it or God is doing it, then where's the place for man to exercise his authority? But the Bible says just the opposite. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. In other words, whether or not you come to God is up to you, not God. The Bible says very clearly that God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It also says that Jesus died for the sins of the world. So the world's sins are already covered. The world's sins have already been paid for. Now that doesn't become a reality unless they exercise their will to choose to come into the family of God. But it's not about God's power. God's power is already taking care of the sins of the world. The blood of Jesus covers that. So what does it come down to? Does it come down to God picking and choosing who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved? Is God picking winners and losers in the earth? No, he gave the authority to mankind to make themselves winners through the word of God. But notice the temptation here. The devil tempts Jesus by questioning who he is. If you're the son of God. Well, who's in doubt about that? Jesus certainly isn't. And the devil isn't either. You may remember one of the first situations that Jesus came upon uh, the devil working through somebody. The devil's in the person that Jesus was ministering to cried out. And they said, have you come? We know who you are. We know that you're the son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? Well, if evil spirits knew that Jesus was the son of God, then why wouldn't the devil? And folks, this is exactly the way the devil works against us. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down because of the work of Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus made. That doesn't mean he quits accusing. That means because of what Jesus did and the righteousness he obtained by the shedding of his blood, it means he has no standing to make the accusation. But that doesn't mean he quits accusing. That's why the Bible is so specific about talking about the righteousness of God. That's why the Bible speaks time and time and time again of the fact that our righteousness is of God, not of ourselves. And that's something we're supposed to be established in. That's the, the, the foundational truth of salvation. Not just that your sins are forgiven. Thank God your sins are forgiven but that you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible says, I will not fear for you are with me. I will not be dismayed for you are my God. You strengthen me, you help me, you uphold me with the right hand of your righteousness. And in that righteousness, we are established. Affliction shall not come nigh me for I do not fear. And terror shall not come near me. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. 
And every tongue that rises up against us in judgment, we shall condemn. This is our heritage as the children of God. And our righteousness is of him. Folks, if you don't have a knowledge of that, if you don't get that and let that settle down into the inside, in your inner man, then you're always going to be subject to the accusations of the devil. But when you know these things, not because you feel like you're righteous, but because the Bible identifies us as the righteousness of God. When you know those things, what's the devil going to accuse you of? He wants to make you think you're less than what the Bible says you are. He wants you to, to think you're less than what Jesus has purchased for you through his blood. And you're the one that decides whether or not he will. But folks, notice again this temptation. The devil is always trying to push you and me, just like he tried to push Jesus. Now, could Jesus have made these stones into bread? Some of you are more sure of that than I am. In order to answer the question, we've got to consider something. And that is, did Jesus have the power to work outside the will of God? Could his power have turned those stones into bread when he himself says that he's not the one doing the works, but that he's doing the will of the Father who sent him? He also said, I only do those things which I see my Father do. So would his power, not his power that he had with God the Father before the oracles began, but his power as a man on the earth, having emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory and come to earth as a man, would that power have worked for something that was contrary to the will of the Father? If Jesus had done what the devil challenged him to do, it would have made him a sinner. So would the power of Jesus on the earth as a man who had authority, a man who was the righteousness of God because of his failure to sin, the absence of sin, would those stones have turned into bread for him? I used to think, absolutely, he's Jesus. But I'm inclined to think now that it wouldn't have worked. But it was a real temptation. If it wasn't a real temptation, then Jesus was a partner to a lie and a fraud. Because he considered all of these temptations. The Holy Ghost gives us record that these are all temptations, bona fide, true temptations that he dealt with. Well, he tells us how to deal with temptation, and that is to quote the word. Now, quoting the word didn't satisfy his hunger. But his hunger was satisfied by the Father after he finished the temptation. Now in Luke, there's a discrepancy between Luke's account and Matthew's account, and it doesn't make a difference either way. But the second and third temptations are flipped in Matthew's account. So I'm going to take the third one before the, the, the second one. I think you'll see why 
in verse 9. And Satan brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall keep his, give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering and said unto him, It is said, or it is written in other words, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So we see the second temptation was for Jesus to make a name for himself, use his position and make a name for himself. If you're the son of God, again, it's the same challenge. If you're the son of God. Again, folks, the devil's always trying to push you. He's always trying to push you into proving something. He challenges us about who we are trying to push us into something that's not faith. It may look like faith, but it's not faith to prove something that's not our responsibility to prove. Folks, we are children of God if we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives. We have nothing to prove ever to the devil. It's not our job to try to prove something You remember those great scriptures of, uh, concerning faith in Mark chapter 11. Jesus said in verse 23, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, under those conditions, whatever you say will eventually come to pass. But the devil's always there to try to push you to make a deadline out of it. He wants to make you attempt through what looks like faith to bring about a supernatural or miraculous result, which is not in our power to do. Our job is to believe. Our job is to speak. But it's God's job to bring it to pass. And the devil's always going to try to make you bring something to pass. And set some arbitrary deadline on something. And then when it doesn't take place by that time, he's going to tell you you don't have any faith that this would have worked for somebody that really had faith. But not you. If you're the son of God. If you're a child of God. Now, both of these are internal uh, temptations. Both of these are personal temptations. Again, they have to be bona fide temptations or else Jesus was a partner to a fraud and a lie. Thank God he wasn't. So we've got these two examples of where the devil will try to prove or try to make you prove who you are and who you are, uh, what uh, provisions and authority you have here in the earth but then the third temptation is different completely let's take a look at it verse 5 and the devil took taking Jesus up to a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time 
And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou wilt therefore worship me, this word worship means to kneel or to lie prostrate before. If thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The third temptation is not a personal one. It's not an internal one. The third temptation tells us that Satan has achieved a certain degree of authority here in the earth, and he exercises that authority in government, kingdoms of the world. He's offering something to Jesus that Jesus came to the earth to get. So here's this created being tempting his creator to fall down and worship him. Now remember, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. What's the significance of that? The devil will offer you the world if you'll just worship and follow him. And he wants you to think that what you can have through him is greater than anything you could ever get through God. David spent a lot of time talking about that in the Psalms. He talked about the temptation to envy evildoers here in the earth because it looks like things are working out better for them than the people that serve God. And it might be that way for a short season. But folks, there is no wisdom against God. There is no place of wisdom to work and operate contrary to the word of God. God always pays up. He may not pay up by Friday, but he always pays up. Now, are you familiar enough with 1 Peter chapter 5 where the Bible talks about how we should deal with the devil? Maybe you should turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all of your care on him, for he cares for you. Then verse 8 goes on to say, Well, I'm, I'm, let me read it rather than just quote it. Make sure I get it right. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now here's my question. The Bible gives us examples, three examples, of where Jesus was tempted of the devil. Two of them were personal or individual temptations. The stones being turned into bread and Jesus casting himself down from the pinnacle of the temple to make a name for himself. We understand that those temptations of the devil, those things that come against us in our thought life, those things that the devil tries to deceive us and entice us to do and take part in, we know we're supposed to resist that temptation, right? We know we're supposed to use Jesus' example of quoting the word 
to overcome the temptations that the devil brings. Why in the world should we not resist the temptation for the third type? Where the devil's talking about his control over kingdoms. Are we not supposed to resist him steadfast in our faith in that respect? See, one of these things that through this last election and the comments, criticisms, and so forth that have come to me, most of them come by email. People respond to the contact information on the website and so forth. But one thing that I've found in all the people that have criticized me over this stuff, nobody says, I have yet to find anybody that says that they were, should, that the Christians should vote for Biden. Of course, this was before the fact, before the election. I've not had anybody say that that's where they wanted to, uh, thought that we should put our votes. But I've received a lot of criticism well, a lot. How much is a lot? It doesn't matter to me how many there are, but all, all the ones that have come that were critical of the position that we took have all fallen back on this sovereignty of God thing. I don't know. I can't say for certain because nobody really said anything about it. But I don't know if their position was because God's sovereign, they just weren't going to vote. I know of people that have taken that position. Not to worry, the Democrats found a way for a lot of people to vote in your place. <laughs> but why in the world should we not resist the devil's work in the governmental area? Just like we are supposed to resist his temptation or resist the temptation that comes to us personally. Had one guy tell me that the abortion issue wasn't sufficient to base our vote between the Republican and the Democrat Party on. And his reasoning was God is so much greater than politics or government because God could work on somebody's heart to keep them from getting an abortion. And could work on the abortion doctor's heart to keep him from performing the abortion. Well, folks, I don't doubt that to be true. But do you realize that God is missing out on about 2,300 per day in America? But see, the idea is God can do anything. And the implication is we should just sit back and not try to take any action ourselves. Certainly don't exercise any authority on our own because God's sovereign and he can take care of things. Let's look at some things that the devil does have authority in. Some of the ways that the devil does work. Turn back with me to Ezekiel Chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, 
Because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man. So he's talking about a human being. Now we know through history that Pharaoh, for example, the leader and the ruler of Egypt in Moses' day, Pharaohs were considered to be gods themselves. So apparently this is the same type of situation that's taking place here. This guy is claiming to be a god because of his position as a ruler of the kingdom of Tyrus. Yet thou art a man and not God, though thou set thy heart as the heart of God. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thy understanding hast thou gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silvers into thy treasuries. By great wisdom and by traffic, this word traffic means merchandising. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches, and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? God's given him a chance to turn. But thou shalt be a man, and know God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Now the first thing that it said to this guy that's the prince of Tyrus, this, this human leader, he has some tremendous gifts. No doubt he has gifts, the gift of governments. It's one of the things that the Bible identifies in Romans chapter 8 as one of the ways that the Holy Ghost equips people for certain things. One of those things that, that are listed are rulers or governments. There is a gift of government in the church. Every pastor should have that gift of government. It doesn't mean to rule over people, but it means to be a leader in the manner that God had intended for his church to be led. Here's a guy that's got governments operating in his life, a divine equipping power that has brought him great wealth and great notoriety for his kingdom. But this guy is looking at the results of his kingdom, the growth of his kingdom, the wealth of his kingdom. And somehow or another, he's taking the position that he must be a god. Well, it says he's wiser than Daniel. So there's no question that this guy is gifted. But his heart's certainly not right. The prophecy continues, moreover the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, folks, if this is a literal interpretation, 
then this has to be something more than just a human being. This has got to be talking about Satan himself, or Lucifer, who he was at the time. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. This is what Lucifer was created to be. This was Lucifer in the glory that he had because of God's creation work upon him. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. He is a created being. Till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled thee filled the midst of thee with violence. Now, folks, before I go any further, I'm going to take a little side journey and go back to Isaiah chapter 14 because it gives us some further information about Satan as well, Lucifer at the time. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. There are five things that Satan or Lucifer said he would do. This is the sin, that original sin that he creates that brings a third of the angels into his company and starts a war in heaven. First thing he said, thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Well, then he, his position was below the heavens then. See, Satan was created to operate here on the earth. I will ascend into heaven. That's number one. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Well, then he must have had a throne and they must have been below the stars. It seems that Lucifer was created at one time to be the God of this world. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The third one, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. That must be a higher position than he had at that time. The fourth, verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. So he's, before, he's below the clouds. See, he's here on the earth. Finally, the last one, the fifth one, I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee narrowly shall look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, and did, did, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the prisoners? Now, folks, there's a lot of things that the devil is doing, but they don't qualify as destroying the cities. They don't qualify as making the world a wilderness, which it goes on to say. Apparently, Lucifer had control of the earth before the Genesis chapter 1 account of creation or recreation takes place. 
For example, Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning there was God. And verse 2 says, And the earth became without form and void. It says was. The King James translation says was. Uses the word was. But it's literally the word became. So something happened between the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And verse 2 where it says the world became without form and void. Isaiah 45 says God didn't create the world without form and void. So something had to happen to bring it into that condition. And in fact the Bible talks about how that after God created Adam and Eve he gave them charge to replenish the earth. How do you replenish something that has never been plenished? Man's instruction from God was to repopulate the earth. Not to populate it, but to repopulate it. So there was something here. There was some kind of civilization. Did you notice that we read about Satan in Ezekiel chapter 28? By the merchandise or by the, the uh, abundance of thy traffic which means merchandising, his heart was lifted up. Now I've always, up until this last year, I've always looked at that word traffic or merchandising as meaning Satan using this world's wealth to try to draw people away from the things of God. But with lockdowns taking place, as they had this year, it's thrown a whole new meaning into the merchandising thing aspect that the Bible speaks of. The devil's ultimate gain, ultimate goal is destruction. And he's destroyed a lot of people with the economy. Go back with me to Ezekiel 28 now and let's talk about the rest of it. We just saw five things that Satan said he would do. We stopped with verse 14, I believe. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. It talks about Satan in connection with violence. It talks about Satan in connection with merchandising. Buying and selling. You may remember that the Bible talks about the mark of the beast during the tribulation period that's identified specifically as nobody can buy and sell without this mark thank God that's after the church is raptured how many Christians would be sucked into that and deceived into that if God through his mercy had not ordained for the church to be pulled out of here 
to miss the tribulation period of time. You can see how so many Christians are buying into this lockdown foolishness. And that's much, much lighter weight than the strong delusion that will be associated with the mark of the beast. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, now here's the five things God says he'll do to him. I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Folks, the devil was made to be a beautiful being. But don't let the beautiful aspect of this natural and physical realm that Satan is the God of pull you away from the things of God. As the as proverb said before that we mentioned just a few minutes ago, there is no wisdom against God. There is no legitimate excuse for not uh, following and committing yourself to God's plan. No matter what the devil tells you, no matter how good he make it, may make it seem, there is no wisdom against God. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. Satan said he had lifted his throne above the stars of God. God said, I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities and by the iniquity of thy traffic. Same word, merchandising. Therefore will I bring thee forth, bring forth the fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee. Here's the fifth one, I believe. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And they that know thee, among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be anymore. In other words, when we see the devil for who he really is, we'll look upon him and say, is this the guy that caused all the trouble? Turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Bel called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was in mourning for three, whole, three full weeks. Daniel read some things in Jeremiah's prophecy that dealt with and pertained to Israel being held captive in Babylon. Daniel comes to understand that it was 70 years that they were appointed to be captives in Babylon. And he's done the math, and those 70 years are coming up. And so he sets his face to seek and to fast God, to seek God and to fast. And after three weeks of fasting, then Daniel has a vision. The angel comes to him and reveals certain things to him. 
Now, what he reveals is the work that the devil is uh, operating in and doing behind the scenes in the spirit realm. So just as we saw in Ezekiel chapter 28, where there was a prince of Tyrus, but there was an evil spirit or a demonic force operating behind the scenes in the unseen realm. This is exactly how Satan operates against the kingdoms of the world. He's operating in the unseen realm. But just as he offered Jesus the, the rule of the kingdoms of the world, if he would just worship him, kneel down and worship him, he's offering Jesus what he's offered other people before. There's nothing in the scripture that would ever indicate to us that he stopped doing this very work in this very same way. That means there's a spiritual force behind the government of America working to deceive people to do his work and to produce evil work or fruit by his influence. The same is true for every other country on the earth. The Bible is revealing to us here's how the devil works. Now, why would the devil, or why would the Bible tell us how the devil works if God didn't want us to do something about it? And where's the scripture that says, here's the working of the devil, and you better just pray to hold out because there's nothing you can do about it? The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the children of men. So Daniel's in mourning or fasting for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. His body also was like the beryl, and his face is the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. For my comeliness was turned in in me into corruption and I retained no strength yet heard I the voice of his words and when I heard the voice of his words then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground and behold a hand touched me which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands and he said unto me O Daniel a man greatly beloved understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent and when I when he had spoken this word unto me I stood trembling then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy word, before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. God sent the word the first day. So many things that delay and seem to us to be delays 
It's not God that's delaying anything, folks. He sent the answer the first day. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Here's another spiritual force operating behind the scenes in the, uh, concerning the kingdom of Persia. God's not holding back, folks. The devil tries to hide things. The devil tries to keep things secret. The question is how many believers are going to stand strong long enough for the answer to get to us so we can have the information we need? How many people do you know that would have stuck it out for 21 days? But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief priests, chief princes, excuse me, one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. He's doing battle with them in some form. These scriptures go on to talk about being left as master of the field. In other words, winning the fight. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and I became numb, dumb, excuse me. And behold, one like to the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then opened my, I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision of my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. We won't finish reading out the rest of the prophecy. I just wanted you to see what the Bible says about how the devil operates. Now turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know not his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable Jesus spake unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Jesus is talking about the difference between, he's contrasting the difference between him and the devil and the way they operate here on the earth. He goes on down in verse 10 and says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. When Jesus is talking about entering into the door of the sheepfold, he's talking about legal entry into this world. You remember David talked about how that we are the sheep of his pasture talking about mankind so here where jesus is talking about the sheepfold he's saying that he entered in legitimately he was born of a woman as a result of him being born of a woman he was a human being here on the earth as we said he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory so the only power and, and the only authority he had on the earth was the authority of man that's why over 60 times 
in the four Gospels, Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man. And only, four, uh, only five times does he reference the fact that he's the Son of God. And three of those five times are in the same setting. Jesus was the Son of God, but he operated here on the earth as the Son of Man. He operated here on the earth in the authority that he had uh, exercised the authority that he wants us to know that we have too. If that were not the case, folks, it would have been impossible for Jesus to make good on the statements that we'll do the same works as he did and even greater works. If Jesus did the works on the earth that he did, if he performed the, the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he did in his earthly ministry by the power that he had with God the Father before the worlds began, some power from heaven rather than the authority of man, then how in the world could we ever expect to do the works that he did? Do you understand what I'm saying? But if Jesus did the works that he did here on the earth because of the authority that God gave to man, if he did the, the works and the miracles here on the earth because he was a righteous man, anointed of God because he was born of a woman, in other words, he had the authority that man was given by God from the beginning, then with the same righteousness that he had, which now is ours because of his sacrifice, then certainly we can do the works he did. He said we'd do even greater works. Now, I'm not sure what greater works are. So I'm going to concern myself with doing the works that he did and then let him take care of the greater stuff as it goes. Amen. So Jesus is identifying that he came to, uh, in a legal manner. He's identifying Satan as an illegal alien here in the earth. Certainly the devil has some authority in, to operate. But notice what he said about the devil. Notice how he said the devil got here. He that climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. The only way that Satan would have opportunity to climb up into the earth is if he had been cast down below it. In other words, man holds a higher position of authority here on the earth than the devil ever will. You remember in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the 70, two and two, into the cities that he would go to at a later time. They come back after being commissioned to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, folks, is not that Jesus is the Messiah. The gospel of the kingdom that they preached was that God wants for us here on the earth just exactly the way it is in heaven. And why wouldn't he? Why would God be different toward man here on the earth as he is in heaven? He never changes. How could he be different? Jesus identifies the gospel of the kingdom when he gives the, the disciples the Lord's Prayer, what's called the Lord's Prayer. He says, my kingdom come, to pray my kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He identifies and defines the kingdom of heaven. 
God's will is the same for us here on the earth as it is when he's in heaven because he's the same. So when the disciples, the 70, come back and identify that even the devils are subject to us in your name, Jesus tells us certain things. He said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. That didn't mean Satan fell as uh, when the disciples used the name of Jesus. It means Satan was a defeated foe before we ever got here. And then Jesus goes on to say, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. If the devil wasn't below us, there's no way we could exercise authority over him. So think about what that means. Just as ridiculous as the devil's plan as a created being to get his creator to bow before him. In the same way, you're above him in the things that he's tempting you to do too. You have greater authority than he will ever have. And you can resist him in the personal and individual temptations that he brings against you, just like Jesus did, by speaking the power of his word. And to the same degree that we have authority in our nation, in our land, the exercise of that authority can stop what the devil's doing. Folks, it's time for the church to be the church. It's time for the church to recognize that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that righteousness puts us in exactly the same situation, not a similar situation, but exactly the same situation as Jesus when he defeated the work of the devil through his sacrifice on the cross. Let me make another comment about the devil and kingdoms. Do you remember in Luke chapter 21 when Jesus is talking about the end times. He's identifying and answering the questions that the disciples have brought to him about when these things shall be, when shall he return, and what will the earth look like in those days. One of the things Jesus said was, when you see the nation of Israel, actually he said it this way, he said when you see the trees, talking about representatives of kingdoms, the fig tree is always an example of, Jesus, of uh, Israel. So he said, when you see the, the nations, the fig tree, Israel, and the other nations shooting forth and budding, we've always looked at that, and rightly so, as Israel becoming a nation again in 1947. 
and then Jerusalem being taken and incorporated back into the nation of Israel in 1967. Jesus said that the generation that saw those things would be the generation that he comes back for. So the only question we have to ask, answer then is how long is the generation? We've seen these things. We've witnessed the nation of Israel come back into being. But notice he also said that we were to keep our eyes on the other trees too. Look at the things that are taking place around the world. Have you heard about the Great Reset? The Great Reset is hard to define because everything else, just like everything else the devil do, does, he keeps it in secret and hides in the dark. But the Great Reset, to a great degree, will change the world's economy, the trafficking, the merchandising that's credited to the devil. The closest thing that we can identify to the Great Reset, which is being supported all around the world, is the Green New Deal, which basically will turn everything into an operation concerning climate change, which is the stupidest thing that ever has been concocted against mankind. The idea that man can create or, or change the climate at will is just stupid. I've got a suggestion for our governmental leaders. Rather than changing everything right off the bat, let's just give a million dollars to somebody that says they can change the climate and see how they do. It's ridiculous. But you've got the world on the edge of lockdown. You've got countries around the world, nations that are crying out for people to wear masks and using the phrase, we're just following the science. Folks, the only study that's been done about masks was a Danish study. And they called it a massive study because of the, the uh, control group that they use. It was several thousands of people. It was a Danish study. And this study, after it was completed several months ago, was having a hard time getting it published. Apparently there are four publishing um, instruments around the world that does this kind of stuff. Two of them are in America, the New England Journal of Medicine and the American Medical Association publication. None of these four would publish it because it showed that masks not only didn't do any good but sometimes harmed people in the process. It just has now been published by the American Medical Association. Have you heard about it? Of course not.
We don't hear about anything much that doesn't support the world globalist view. Look at the situation we're looking at and experiencing in our country with some of our major cities that are defunding their police. One of the things that's being reported is that Antifa, the militant arm of the Democrat Party, who never has, whose violence never has been condemned by the left, are saying that they want to pressure President Biden if he gets in, in if he's inaugurated as president, that they're going to pressure President Biden into doing away with the legal, the penal system, do away with prisons. So we're going to defund the police, we're going to do away with prisons, and all live happily ever after. Los Angeles has just has defunded the police, their police force, by $150 million. They are at a lower level of police presence than since 2009. And the murder rate is skyrocketing. What should we expect? Folks, when you've got so many things that are just absolute common sense that are being ignored throughout the world, we better get our eyes open as the church. Another one of the things that are taking place not only here but in other countries to a greater degree in some cases than here, and that is trying to shut the churches down. Refusing to allow churches to operate and to meet. One thing that works in our favor with these latest edicts by Governor Newsom here in California, he's exempted the entertainment industry from his lockdown protocols and the curfews and all that kind of stuff. Well, luckily, we're okay with that because I'm a well-known, famous TV personality. <laughs> and this is our TV taping. So God's still working on our side. Folks, we live in a crazy world. Perilous times to such a degree that it's almost like we're tiptoeing through. God's showing us where to put our next step or what next step to take one by one by one. And in the midst of these perilous times, the church shall rise And do the works of Jesus. And may wind up being the only place on the planet that has peace.
We're coming to the end of days. And there's a lot of work left to do. I believe it will be a quick work. But what good will a quick work do if we don't have our eyes open to the authority that we have in the name of Jesus and use that authority here in the earth? I believe there are going to be things that happen that sweep us into the things of God. We've got to know who we are, folks. And by that, I don't just mean we have to have intellectual knowledge of what the Bible says. But instead, we've got to be doers and confessors, believers of the fact that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus to such a degree that we cannot keep from speaking it out. It needs to become the focus of our lives. It needs to become the aim and the goal of our days here on the earth. It's not enough just to hear a nice message and be lifted up for a few minutes while we're inside the church building. But instead, we need to take out into the world the reality that we are righteous by the blood of Jesus. And because we are, we are candidates to be used of God to do the same works that Jesus did himself. One of the things Jesus said about his coming, he said, when the Son of Man shall return in glory, shall he find faith on the earth. He doesn't just mean shall he find people that once believed on him. I believe he means shall he find active faith, spoken faith, acted on faith because of who Jesus made us to be. That's the mandate that we have by the word of God itself. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. And Lord, we thank you that we have victory through the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we have been made righteous by holy, precious blood. We declare that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We thank you, Father, that we have victory over sickness and disease. That Christ has redeemed us from the coronavirus. That we need not fear And we declare that oppression shall not come near us because we do not fear. Father, we ask you for the rain.
the moving of the precious Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for signs and wonders and miracles in these last days. We thank you, Father, for revelation gifts of the Spirit in operation. We thank you for power gifts of the Spirit in operation. We thank you for the utterance gifts of the Spirit in operation. You said you'd give us showers of rain, Father, if we'd ask you. So we thank you for showers of rain. Father, we ask you to manifest your glory in your church in these last days, even as you declared you would. In fact, Father, you said, as truly as you live, it's an eternal and unchanging law of God. The whole earth will be filled with your glory. Let your glory be seen upon your people. Let your power be manifest through us as sons of men. Father, let your love be made manifest in us too. Show us, Father, how to exercise our authority to cooperate with you in the greatest possible way. Cause us, Father, to be seen as disciples of Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We thank you that the silver and the gold is yours. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. And in this place, we shall have peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Use us, Lord. For your glory, use us according to your will. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Let's all.